BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to start out with this memo from Christopher Miller, the acting Secretary of Defense. Now, keep in mind, he was put into that position, I believe it was November 9th. It was in the first two weeks of November. It was, as I recall, immediately after the media called the election for Donald Trump, and Donald Trump began the big lie that he actually won the election and it was being methodically stolen from him by Joe Biden and Democrats. This memo goes through some considerable detail, but increasingly, like what we're seeing is not just evidence of insurrection, you know, and an attempt to rise up against the government, but actual treason. I think the main question that needs to be answered is, you know, did the president lead or participate in a conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States and install himself as a strongman dictator for life? There's three pieces to proving this that I'm seeing. Now, you know, maybe you see others. Feel free to give us a shout. We can talk about it. But what I'm seeing is, number one, we have to connect Donald Trump to the actual traitors who marched from the ellipse down to the Capitol building, broke into the Capitol building, roamed through the halls, built a gallows to hang Mike Pence, were actively looking to shoot Nancy Pelosi in the brain, uh, for the exact phrase one of them used on one of her videos. Um, We have to connect Donald Trump to those folks, number one. It seems to me that that's fairly easy. I mean, his speech, which will no doubt be played before the United States Senate next week, his speech just, you know, he he says, you know, we're going to march to the Capitol. Now, There was this group, Women for America First, that had organized this rally on the Ellipse, which is, you know, about uh, half a mile away from the Capitol building, several blocks away from the Capitol building. This group had assured the Capitol Police that nobody was going to leave that area, that that it was going to be nonviolent, that it was just going to be, you know, it's Women for America First. I mean, what do you expect? It's just going to be, you know, a bunch of nice people saying, you know, nice things like, you know, we think Donald Trump should be president. But Trump showed up and several of his buddies, including his son, and explicitly said, Donald Trump said, you know, let's march to the Capitol. I'm going to go with you. 
Now, he was saying this behind bulletproof glass. I don't think I've ever seen him speak behind bulletproof glass, which might have been a clue that he knew that there were people in that crowd who were armed. And then after he left the platform, the podium, the lectern, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, after he finished his speech, he got in his bulletproof limousine and drove back to the White House instead of leading the march, as he had told them he was going to do. But off they went, of course. So I think, number one, can we connect Donald Trump to the killers, to the traitors, you know, who killed five people? Yeah, I think so. It would, secondly, require proof that Donald Trump or people in his circle took active steps to make sure that Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi, in particular, as the vice president who is reading the votes and the Speaker of the House who controls the House of Representatives, are left defenseless. No defense at all. They're just there alone with some Capitol Police. But I mean, the Capitol Police, more often than not, their principal function, if you've ever been in the Capitol, you know what I'm talking about. The main thing that the Capitol Police do, other than, you know, manning the the uh, where you first come into the building, the magnetometer, you know, like at an airport. The main thing that they do is tell people where things are. The building's a maze. It's easy to get lost. People are constantly walking up to Capitol Police and saying, where's the restroom? Where's Bernie's office? Stuff like that, you know, or, you know, where's the floor? How, how do I get to the gallery? And then third, you know, was there a conspiracy to make all this happen? And of course, we've got these reports of this meeting the night before, January 5th, at Trump International Hotel, just a few blocks away, in the presidential suite, in Donald Trump's personal suite. It's alleged that Tommy Tuberville, the brand new senator from Alabama, was there. He has denied it, but there's several pictures of him, at least in the hotel, from people who say that it was that night. And he was the director, at that point in time, of the Republican Attorney General's Association. The Republican Attorney General's Association, through their Rule of Law Defense Fund, had that night sent out a robocall to we don't know how many people that said, and I quote, and I'm taking this from actually the New York Times, We've got a great piece on this today, we will march to the Capitol building and call on Congress to stop the steal. So, you know, was there this conspiracy? But then we get to this document that the Secretary of Defense, the guy who was put into office a day or two after Trump lost the election, Chris Miller. And maybe he's a good guy. Maybe he's being manipulated. Maybe this was actually a good faith effort to keep the National Guard from interfering with the Capitol Police. I shared parts of this with you last week. I'm going to just touch on some of the high points of it. By the way, you can actually see the document. Last Friday when I was talking about this, I didn't have a place where I could direct you if you want to read this document from the Secretary of Defense, the Acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller. It's over at tomhartman.medium.com. It's the top story. T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N dot medium.com. Medium is just, I'm, I'm having so much fun on Medium because it's basically, for the cost of one cup of coffee a month, I think it's five bucks a month is what they charge, you get a completely advertising-free environment, no ads whatsoever. Very clean, very readable. Thousands of writers from all over the world in all kinds of categories, from science to philosophy to politics to, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Astrophysics, all kinds of amazing stuff. In fact, Richard Silberstein, the guy in our third hour that we're going to be talking with, published his piece over at medium.com. 
So I published this article, you know, of this title, you know, as a time to call this treason, basically, and I reprinted the memo. So you can actually see the memo yourself. And uh, I think you get five free reads a month. So, you know, everybody gets reset on the first of the month. I believe, I believe that's how it works at tomhartman.medium.com. But it says this memorandum responds to your January 4th, 2021 memorandum regarding the District of Columbia's request for District of Columbia National Guard. In other words, the district, and and presumably this is Mayor Bowser, but maybe it's the Capitol Police, I, I believe this is the actual city, has reached out to the Secretary of Defense, or at least this is a memorandum for the Secretary of the Army, so perhaps they reached out to the Army, which controls the National Guard, the D.C. National Guard, and said, hey, can you have the National Guard help us? And... It goes on. It sounds, you know, the first paragraph sounds very nice. It says, you are authorized to approve the requested support subject to my guidance below. So, number one qualification, you have to do it the way I'm telling you. And number two, and subject to consultation with the Attorney General as required by Executive Order 11485. Now, the one thing I haven't done yet, I'm going to do at the bottom of the hour, is see if I can find a copy of Executive Order 11485. Because what's that? I mean, you know, Bill Barr has to sign off on the National Guard protecting members of Congress? I don't know. I intend to find out. Then they go through this list. Right? The memo starts out dated January 4th, 2021. It says, uh, and it's a memorandum for the Secretary of the Army from the Secretary of Defense. It's on the letterhead of the Secretary of Defense. Again, as I said, you can read this. You can actually see the memo. You can even even right-click on it or left-click on it or whichever it is and save it as a graphic file if you want to your computer, if you want a copy of it, over at tomhartman.medium.com is today's story. You are authorized to approve the requested support This memorandum responds to your January 4th, 2021 memo regarding the District of Columbia's request for National Guard support. So the city of D.C. has said, we're going to need some help. And the Secretary of Defense, who was put into his job a day or two after the media said that Donald Trump lost the election, there was a big shakeup at the DOD, and he wasn't the only one. There were three or four other people who were put into place as well. He says... No problem. You can, you know, the National Guard can help the Capitol. However, there are some things you may not do. And again, you can read this in the memo. It says the D.C. National Guard is not authorized the following. So I'm simply going to insert the phrase, you are not authorized at the beginning of each one of these bullet points so that you, because you can't, you're not seeing the memo, you're hearing my voice. And so you, you know, it may be possible to misunderstand it. So here's what the memo says, with my adding this this phrase that appears in the setup sentence before the bullet points. You may not issue, you can help the city of D.C., but you may not issue weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic protection equipment such as helmets and body armor, in number one. You'll recall, by the way, that the chief of the, uh, the D.C. Capitol Police's union has said that they have 140 officers who have been injured and hospitalized, many of them with traumatic brain injury. Two have committed suicide since this time, which is a frequent side effect of traumatic brain injury. We know that from you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. It can cause severe depression in addition to dementia. 
So number one, you can't have helmets or body armor or any kind of ammunition. Number two, you may not interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense or the defense of others consistent with the DC National Guard rules for the use of force. Number three, you may not employ any riot control agents. No tear gas, no pepper spray, you can't do it. Number four, you may not share equipment with law enforcement agencies. So if the DC Capitol Police are being overrun and they need some help and they need some equipment, they need maybe some helmets, God only knows what they, sorry, you can't give it to them. Number five, you may not use intelligence, surveillance, or reconnaissance, parenthesis, ISR, close parenthesis, assets, or conduct ISR or incident awareness and assessment activities. In other words, you may not do any kind of reconnaissance. You may not gather intelligence. You may not do surveillance. Obviously, by implication, if you can't do those things, you also can't share that information with law enforcement. You may not employ helicopters or any other air assets. You may not conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or any other similar direct law enforcement activity. <laughs> They're on their own, right? Uh, you may not seek support from any non-DC National Guard, National Guard units. Now, I find that particularly fascinating because you'll recall the uh, story that has been told by Maryland's Republican governor, Larry Hogan, and the number two Democrat in the House of Representatives, Maryland's Congressman Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi's whip. And Steny Hoyer tells the story of hiding from the mob and calling Larry Hogan, who's literally just right across the river. I mean, D.C. and Maryland are neighbors. And saying, please send your National Guard troops. And Larry Hogan trying to call the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of the Army and get authorization to move his Maryland National Guard troops across a state border into D.C. and not getting that authorization for hours. And then it goes on to say, at all times, the D.C. National Guard will remain under the operational administrative command and control of the commanding general of the D.C. National Guard who reports to the Secretary of Defense through the Secretary of the Army. And this is one of the other things that we know is that while these people were in lockdown, while these members of Congress were in lockdown, they were making calls to the Secretary of Defense's office and not getting, nobody was picking up the phone, basically. He wasn't around. They were making calls to the Secretary of the Army. Nobody was picking up the phone. They ended up calling nearby governors, the governors of Virginia and Maryland, saying, help. And they said, we can't send people in until, well, we assume this is the case with Virginia. We don't have, you know, public testimony about that, but we do have public testimony about Maryland. So how do you think this is going to play out? Am I missing anything here? It looks to me like you've got all the parts necessary for a conspiracy, right down to the meeting the night before at Trump Tower, Tommy Tuberville running the organization that did the robocalls. I mean, this is, this is starting to get really You're weird. listening to the Tom Hartman program. And then on top of that today, the New York Times, this story about the 77 days that Trump was promoting the big lie. So one of the guys who helped organize, actual organized the so-called Stop the Steal, which is predicated on the assumption that the election results is reported by our news media and by the secretaries of state of, for example, the Republican secretary of state of Arizona, the Republican secretary of state of Georgia, that those results were all lies and that Donald Trump, in fact, won the election and it was being stolen from him, right? One of the guys who helped organize this rally that turned into the attack on the Capitol 
was a congressman from Arizona. His name is Paul Gosar. He's a Republican representing the 4th District of Arizona. All, to the best of my knowledge, all of his siblings, brothers and sisters, have come out and basically condemned him. And uh, one of them is on the line with us right now, David Gosar. Uh, David is a, uh, he's a brother of Paul Gosar. He is a practicing attorney. David, welcome to the program. What, coming out against one's sibling is a pretty severe step. What provoked you and your other siblings, your, your brothers and sisters, to come out and make these kinds of statements that, well, and, and for that matter, you know, recap for our listeners and viewers what those statements are. Thanks for having me on today, Tom. I watch your program about every day on YouTube and I get so much out of it. Thank you, Dave. It wasn't an easy decision to make. We've been actively opposing him for the last couple of years now. You know, he's been in Congress since about 2010, and we endured a lot. He has taken just unbelievably extreme positions over the years. Finally got to the point in 2017 where, you know, he appeared on Vice News with just some crazy, you know, anti-Semitic remarks about how George Soros was possibly behind the Charlottesville rally and, you know, that George Soros is a 10-year-old boy, you know, collaborated with the Nazis to turn in his own people, stuff like this. You know, he, previous to that, he was down at the Cliven, uh, let me tell you about the Negro Bundy's uh, ranch, you know, you know, participating in that insurrection against the government. And there's so much he's been involved in that, it, you know, we'd have to have a, you know, at least 15 minutes just to even recount that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what started it all. But we've come out again, you know, because of his participation in this insurrection, which he was instrumental in. He was involved in the Stop the Steal rallies. He organized the rallies down in Arizona which resulted in death threats to the Secretary of State, her house being surrounded. He was involved with Ali Alexander, the principal person behind the mob rally at the Capitol. He's been spreading lies ever since on social media or wherever he can, Fox News. He objected to the certification. In fact, he was on the House floor, you know, when the uh, mob started to storm the Capitol objecting to it. And even after it was all said and done, he voted against certifying the election. So he's been as much involved in this as anybody. And the last thing, Tom, on January 6th, the day of the insurrection, he tweeted out these exact words uh, with a picture of the mob. Biden should concede, want his concession on my desk tomorrow morning. Don't make me come over there. Hmm. We're talking with David Gosar, the brother of Congressman Paul Gosar, who uh, represents the 4th District of Arizona. You're an attorney. Is your brother, the congressman, an attorney? No, he's not, Tom. He's a a retired dentist. Okay. Do you think he... I generally try to avoid mind-reading other people's motivations, but you're this guy's brother. Why is he doing this? Is this his moment in the sun and he's willing to sacrifice his country for fame and fortune? Or is this, does he have deeply held beliefs that, you know, America should be a whites only country and Jews and blacks and, and everybody else should just, you know, get the hell out or, or learn their place or that kind of thing? I mean, that seems to be the rhetorical 
backbone of a lot of these movements that he has aligned himself with. You know, Tom, there's a lot that goes into this toxic cocktail. You start out with gullible people or a person like Paul, who I guess ultimately turns out to be completely unscrupulous. You know, you start out with 30 years of right-wing propaganda from Fox News and right-wing radio that turns these people's mind into mush until they become just a bunch of zombies. And then you put people like Paul in there, which my assessment of him is his whole life he's had this deep-seated idea to be an important person. You know, he's got a Mm -hmm. fragile ego, and to be honest with you, he's also not that bright. Okay, so, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this kind of plays in your mind, and Paul's the sort of person who can talk himself into any lie And it just always happens to work out for Paul, Tom. It's always the the lie and and Paul's interests are always marching hand in hand. How solid is Paul's hold on the 4th District of Arizona? How likely is there to be a challenge to him? What kind of political power does he hold and how fragile is it? It's very unlikely to lose his seat because, you know, you've got a bunch of people. I mean, it's one of the reddest districts in the country, just like uh, Wyoming is, which is where I live. But, you know, I have a path forward to exclude these people. It's just going to take some political will, and it involves the 14th Amendment. But it's a reading of the 14th Amendment that I think people should hear because I'm not hearing it anywhere. The 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War. Basically, what it says is that anybody who's committed insurrection against the United States, unless you know, certain criteria are met, may not serve in government. And this was to keep the traitors, you know, the Confederate traitors out. Are you suggesting that that provision of the 14th Amendment should be used against your brother and his colleagues who have been promoting this uh, big lie of Donald Trump's? Absolutely, Tom, because I think the worst thing that can happen here is that the only people that suffer are the casting call from the movie Deliverance. And the people who right. organize it and set these people on Congress walk away scot-free because, you know... So, so this- where would that start? Where would a 14th Amendment challenge start? Would that have to be done in the courts by an individual or by Congress? How, how does that happen? No, Tom, it's, it's a, really an exercise of raw power here. And it's important that you focus on the terminology. Don't call it that they're being expelled from Congress. Consider it that they're forfeiting their right. And, mm-hmm. and Nancy Pelosi being in charge of the House could just say they forfeited their right. They have no right to be here. They could then go to the courts and try to get their way back in. You know, it takes two-thirds for them to get back in of a congressional vote. So, I mean, I I could spell it out in greater detail, but it's possible. David, we're we're out of time. Thank you so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. That is the Tom Hartman Program. That's uh, David Gosar, the brother of Congressman Paul Gosar. Amazing stuff. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's up? A guy called Thursday, and he echoed a conversation you and I had a year or two ago when Trump first signaled that he knew he was going to lose the election and he was planning a coup. When Trump started to pardon American servicemen who were guilty of war crimes, everybody said, why would he do that? It was for the coming coup. He's telling our servicemen, and by extension, the police forces as well, that I have your back no matter what you do, even murder. You may commit mass murder, and I'll still pardon you. As long as you have my back, no matter what I do. And now the argument that was made at the time, David, was that was that there were friends of these guys who were lobbying on Fox News for a pardon for them. Fox uh, Trump saw that segment on Fox News and that's why he pardoned them. You're not buying that. This is Tom. This is why he did it. He he for the coming coup. And I think the impeachment managers need to know this, that he's been planning it for a long time. When he first knew he was losing the election, he he started pardoning the despicable so that they would pardon him when he took over the government, so that they would go along with January 6th and the police would go along with January 6th. David, thank you very much for the call. Al in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Al, what's up? Okay. Uh, why isn't the Justice Department going after the Congress people that are threatening their colleagues? Because they go with, oh, this is free speech. Not when you make a terrorist threat. It doesn't become free speech at that point. And I think that uh, uh, Attorney General and Justice Department, are they afraid to go after someone because they're a congressman or a senator? Probably. Probably. There would be an enormous backlash from going after one of these people using a legal process. Right now you've got a resolution, you know, before the House of Representatives to expel Marjorie Trader Green and or Taylor Green and I'm not sure if uh, Lauren Bobbert is or Bobert or however she says are, are going to be expelled as well but and then there's another motion to censure them. But it's entirely possible. It says here you're a retired police captain. I'm guessing that just like with any kind of police action, the Justice Department is not waving around or holding press conferences about what they're doing and who they're investigating and how they're doing it. Let's say President Trump were still in office and this was happening. The Democrats doing this, I know he'd have uh, Attorney General Barr going after them. Oh, yeah. That's because all the Republicans have is drama. I mean, you know, you've got an entire political party devoted to serving the interests of rich people and corporations, period, full stop. And so what they sell is drama. They use it to sell what they're doing. But, you know, I get what you're saying. And I think, you know, this is a three-act play, and we're not even halfway through Act 1 right now. There's a lot more to come. Al, thank you for the call. Thanks for your, uh, for your thoughts. Tim in Fort Lauderdale. Hey, Tim. I think they also, with this letter 
that came out from that Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. What happened to the Secret Service? Because, you know, the Secret Service is supposed to be with every event and supposed to assess events that the president go to, correct? Trump had his own Secret Service detail when he was standing behind that bulletproof glass. And Pence had a Secret Service detail in the Capitol, but it was like four guys. You isn't know, they're not going to hold off 5,000 people. Service, isn't it the same Secret Service that we have as an agency within our government, even though they yes. have their own Secret Service? The Secret Service is the Secret Service. It used to be part of the Treasury Department. After 9-11, as part of the Patriot Act, they got folded into the Department of Homeland Security as a separate agency. This one, just think about that. This letter went out, right, from the Secretary of Defense. I hope that Congress if they, or, or the Senate, that when they have this trial, is calling the Secret Service or the director of Secret Service to come forth to testify because... You know, when Trump said, well, I'm going to go walk down there with you, what, mm-hmm. would it be more likely the Secret Service tell him no after he said that? And then yeah, could be. they told could him be. no. Tim, I got to run. I'm sorry. But thank you. Thank you for your call. Your point is well made. Tyrone in uh, Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Uh, we being played for suckers because it reminds me of this Emmett Till case where it was blatantly obvious that these so-called men killed that child and they just let them walk out of court. The same thing Mm -hmm. has happened with, what a similar thing has happened with Trump in in the Ukraine situation, walked out of court. Now we got more than enough evidence that this man was party to this cool treason. And I don't see the people that are still willing, I mean, he's been impeached, but I don't see them doing what needs to be done. And because they do this time and time again, I don't know how we, as an American, to push back against this white supremacy. You know, basically, whereas I know what they did was wrong, but we can't do the right thing. We got to do what's white for to keep this country moving forward. They're telling us to, oh, no, let's forget about what happened. You know, it's tear the country apart. So, yeah, Nikki Haley was saying, you know, it's it's time to move on and get over it and stuff like this. Yeah. But, you know, she wants to be president, too, in 2024 or vice president. I think what's what's really clear here, Tyrone, is that we have 14000 people who were arrested in Black Lives Matter protests. We've got mm-hmm. what we're up to about 150 people mm-hmm. out of the out of the five or 10,000 who stormed the Capitol building who've been arrested. Yeah, I think you can safely I would safely take a bet that had the people who stormed the Capitol been black instead of white, the outcome would be uh, would have been a slaughter. Oh, absolutely. And do you think that, I'm, I'm hearing more and more information about this um, COVID-19 virus that was man-made. They're saying now I'm hearing more and more that it was supposed to have been man-made. man-made. Do you have any more nah. information on that? Yeah, it's no? definitely not man-made. We know, we know where it came from. You can trace the genome back literally thousands of years. Um, this okay. this thing came out of bats and into the human into humans, and anybody who's trying to tell you that it's man made, um, that should be a flag that that's probably somebody who's into the QAnon conspiracy or something like it, Ooh. and they're trying they're sending out a little hook trying to drag Tyrone into their into their bizarre little world. Yeah, that's um, right. So, so let me talk to Tom. <laughs> I yeah, know you so more. be, be very careful. Brown. 
Yes. Yeah. It, you know, uh, we, right. we're not to the point where we where we're manufacturing viruses with thirty five thousand chain, you know, uh, pairs of, of uh, amino acids in their DNA. I mean, this is a fairly complex virus. The SARS virus, that family of viruses is well known. It's been around for a long time. It lives in animal reservoirs and has for probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years. Okay. Um, but uh, the problem we have now is that you could say that some of these new variants are man-made in as much as they are made in man. They are made in human yes. beings. Okay. They, are, they are mutations yeah. that are okay. occurring. You know, evolution is happening in our bodies as we speak. Absolutely. And, uh, that's, yeah, and that's a dangerous thing, and that's, and that's happening all over. And uh, Sandra in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Sandra, what's up? In the past, whenever a crime happened, the FBI would call up for phone records, and they would get all the data regarding the times and dates of the calls, who was on the call, and if I'm understanding correctly, the actual language that was spoken on the call, the the details. Why could they not do this in this regard and get Trump and Powell's and everybody else Republican congressman, for example, mm -hmm. discussing the insurrection in advance. Yeah, I'm guessing <laughs> they've already that done well. that with the people who were in that January 5th meeting, you know, with Rudy Giuliani and, and, yeah. and maybe Tommy Tuberville or Tuberville and some of the other, and, you know, Don Jr. who were there. Although I think that the FBI is probably, and this is just a guess, right? I, you know, I, I don't know. But my guess would be that they would be very, very, very careful before they wiretap, essentially, the president of the United States or a member of Congress, and that that would almost yeah. certainly have to run through the Justice Department and be signed off on by the attorney general. And, and of course, when Bill Barr didn't want to go along with Donald Trump's big lie that he had won the election and it was being stolen from him by Joe Biden and, and Democrats and corrupt Republicans in Georgia, when Bill Barr said, that's it, I'm out of here, Trump replaced him with a more compliant acting attorney general, so who would be even more reluctant those? or less willing to to, to yeah. wiretap these guys. But, but if they now, if they did and they're building a federal case, we'll find out when it gets to court. It might be six months, it might be a year, it might be two yeah. months down the road. But and I'm the guessing the FBI go back to records from like a month ago and say, We want to hear what those calls were. Can they do that? They can certainly find out who was where and when and who talked to who when. I mean, that data lives for, for decades on the Internet. Yeah. The actual content <laughs> of the calls, that's a whole separate, that's a whole different thing. And that's going to depend on a yeah. whole bunch of variables. I just don't know. Sandra, thank you for the call. Nathan in West Los Angeles. Hey, Nathan, what's up? Hey, I was just curious about this political party that Donald Trump had floated the idea. Have you heard much about that? Mm -hmm. the Patriot Party? Yeah. That yeah, his so-called Patriot Party. There's no way that Donald Trump is going to start a political party because he's too lazy. I mean, that's a lot of work. It takes a lot of money. It's a lot of effort. He was saying that to frighten Republicans, to get their attention, to cause them to snap to attention and say, oh, no, don't go off and do that. That'll split the vote. We'll stay with you. Basically, that was his way of saying to the GOP, you are either with me or you're against me, or I am either with you or I'm going to be against you. And you the fact that he's, Rona... You think he's given up? He's, he's not going to get... No, like he's taken over. Quiet. He has taken over. No, I think what's going on is that Donald Trump is planning down in uh, Mar-a-Lago. He's planning on setting up essentially a shadow government. You're going to have a half a dozen or maybe even a dozen Republican governors and uh, probably that many Republican senators who are going to be basically in on it with him. He will start announcing positions 
in opposition to things that Joe Biden is doing, they will then fall into place. And you're going to see a whole new national Me Too network, as it were. That's probably the wrong metaphor to use. But echo chamber, a whole whole brand new uh, national echo chamber, you know, coming out of Fox News and other right wing media and right wing hate radio as well. And of course, this huge right wing infrastructure that they built across the Internet. Do you think that we are lucky that Trump is not as intelligent or as patient as authoritarians such as, and I I know it's not a good idea to reference Hitler, but I I feel like Hitler was a lot smarter. He spent 10 years winning over not just Germany, but Europe and the world before he, you know, and and the steps were so tiny and incremental towards fascism over a decade. I feel like we sort of dodged a bullet by not having someone that intelligent. That's the point that I've been making over and over and over for months, Nathan. And that is that had this been a smart, college-educated lawyer fascist, somebody like Tom yeah. Cotton or Josh Hawley, we would not have escaped. We would not have dodged that bullet. Dawn in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Dawn. Just wondering, during the summer, Trump was rushed to his bunker as soon as anybody stepped foot outside of the White House. But on January 6th, he was in the White House, and there was an insurrection right down the street. Where? Why didn't he go to his bunker then? Well, I think this is more evidence that he was, this was his thing. The reports that we're hearing now from people in the White House is that he was watching the whole thing on TV gleefully. He was happy to see this, you know, going on live on television. That's another part of what I think is just a scathing indictment of this uh, traitor, of this man who I I believe is guilty of treason. Dawn, thank you very much for the call. Dave, in Federal Way, Washington, so as a former intelligence officer, what say you? Look, Tom, you are so right. I don't even think you know, because last Friday you were kind of making me sad with this you were like qualifying your statements. You know, you would say my interpretation of it is, look, it's huge and you're right, 100%, all right? And let me explain. Let's say, um, you know, I use this term true believer. Nobody really understands what that means. You know, there's Title 10, national emergency. The president has a lot of power, right? They have to get things to Title 10. This is where Miller came in, the, the acting secretary of defense. This is why he was um, in, in that statement. It can be read both ways. Bottom line is they decided to unleash the mob, not to overthrow the government. It was too late. Uh, Flynn told them in the council, Flynn told them it's too late, Donald. What you have to do is you have to unleash the mob, and we have to have wanton carnage, not to overthrow the government, but to buy time. They, that was an attempt to buy time. All right? and, to do what? And to me, to buy time to eventually or hopefully get some sort of redo of the elections in chosen states, Flynn's big plan, maybe. But the oh, yeah. Line yeah, they is, all said that. They, they came right out and said it. We want to redo the election. I mean, you know, Trump said that. Uh, my pillow guy said that. Um, yeah. OK. So I, 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 I get it, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for that, uh, that piece in there. I guess the question is, how do you hold accountable members of Congress? who have participated in an act of what is at least sedition and perhaps full-out treason. Alan, in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Alan, what's up? Well, I think that Mitch McConnell is the only one that could solve this treasonous 
discourse and discord. What would happen if Biden secretly invited McConnell to Camp David and he just appealed to his better interests? McConnell wants to save the Republican Party. I think you are overestimating the integrity and concern for this country that Mitch McConnell has. I believe that Mitch McConnell is only interested. I think he's a sociopath, just like Donald Trump. And I'm informed in that opinion by having been told that by Dr. Justin Frank, the professor of psychiatry at George Washington University, who said, you know, yeah, birds of a feather, essentially. And I think that if Biden sat down with McConnell and said, you know, let me appeal to you as a as a patriot, as a fellow human being, as a, you know, as a decent person, McConnell would be sitting there thinking, how can I use this to my advantage? I don't think he's, you cannot trust Mitch McConnell. He has demonstrated that over and over and over again. Wouldn't it be in McConnell's best interest to get rid of Trump? He doesn't want to see the Republican Party destroyed, and Trump is destroying it. You've studied Lincoln. What would Lincoln do in a situation like this? Well, Lincoln was not unwilling to fight a war. (laughs) I mean, it's like. But he did appeal to people that had opposing views. Well, and and I think it was a huge mistake, frankly, Alan. I mean, Lincoln, in his second term, in his first term, he had a Republican vice president. In his second term, he brought in Andrew Johnson, who was a, a Democrat, not a Republican, who owned several slaves including a girl who was 14 years old, who he took everywhere with him. And after Lincoln was assassinated, and and by the way, having that guy, having Andrew Johnson as your vice president, virtually guarantees that somebody's going to try to assassinate you. I mean, you look back, you know, on it, and and, uh, when John Wilkes Booth, you know, came down with his six-emperor Tyrannus, death to tyrants, uh, and shot Lincoln, it it was almost predictable because they knew that that would put the United States of America in the hands of a neo-Confederate Southern slave owner, which is exactly what happened. I think that the parallels between that time and this time, they're very different times. But I think, you know, if you're looking for, a, for an analogy for Mitch McConnell, rather than somebody like Barry Goldwater, who walked over and told Richard Nixon, you know, sorry, it's over. I think you need to go back to John C. Calhoun. John C. Calhoun, who both uh, John Quincy Adams' vice president and Andrew Jackson's vice president, and then in the Senate, basically was the father of the filibuster, fought the abolition movement back in that day, uh, right up to the very end. I don't think you can trust Mitch McConnell, period. Full stop. And I think that, if anything, the Merrick Garland nomination proved that. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops 
and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Brian in Illinois. Hey, Brian, what's up? This needs to stick. You know, the first impeachment was about bribery. This one is about treason. Those are the high crimes listed as impeachable offenses and to be in future history books, you know, as textbook examples of what not to do, you know, as a president. Right. I just wanted to add that the Trump campaign paid organizers of a variety of right-wing groups $2.7 million to organize the rally. Some of those organizers were former White House staffers and consultants. At least eight of their names are on the permit for the, for the Stop the Steal protest including Maggie Mulvaney, the niece of uh, his former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. You know most of these, but on top of uh, not allowing the D.C. Capitol Police to be fully equipped for what they knew was coming, he never called the National Guard. Never did. It was Mike Pence that made the call. That's more than ignorance. That's coordination, I think. And, uh, I, I think so, too. And I think that's what we're going to find out at when at the end of the day here, Brian, is that is that this was a top down product. And 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 it's the result of a conspiracy. Whether Christopher Miller was in on it. To, I don't know. Go sorry. ahead. It takes a lot of people to make a conspiracy happen. Or, I mean, you pointed out Ginny Thomas was part of the uh, the the Council for National Policy that bus that funded 80 to 100 buses that could have brought in as many as 2,000 people. Um, there were, I mean, if there's anything that represents the vast right-wing conspiracy, it's this, um, this Council for National Policy. If you look at their members' directory list, it's the owners of over 250 right-wing radio stations. Uh, it's Salem Communication and Bot Radio Networks, uh, founders of Newsmax, Red State, Town Hall, Christian Broadcasting, World Net Daily, Judicial Watch, Daily Caller, on and on. Breitbart, you know, Steve Bannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Clara Mitchell, who is on their Board of Governors. She's also a senior fellow for the Heritage Foundation. She was also on the call that Trump made to the Georgia Secretary of State to overturn the election results. Uh, Brian, I think, yeah, I I, I totally get it. And I think that this stuff is is going to be coming together. We we are now seeing the first federal conspiracy charges being lodged, you know, relative to this event on January 6th. I am expecting that when the impeachment managers from the House of Representatives present this case to the Senate, it's going to be a blockbuster. I think next week is going to be a mind-boggling week. Brian, i got to move along. But thanks for the call. Thanks for making your first call in. It's great to hear from you. John of Manassas, uh, Virginia. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Tom. You already touched on it before, but the memo or whatever you want to say it, from Christopher Miller to the head of the, the D.C. National Guard, you want mm-hmm. to talk about a guilty conscience. This is two days before it. The District of Columbia National Guard is not authorized the following to employ any riot control agents. Now, who said yeah. anything about a riot? <laughs> I mean, it's right Good there. point, Tom. I mean, who said, I mean, who said anything about a riot? Are you, what, were you expecting one? Do you want right. one? Right. And also, yeah. when they say there's no evidence, December 17th, New York Times, Donald Trump, January 6th, come to Washington, D.C., go wild. Mm-hmm. And also, Michael Flynn's brother was also 
in the Defense Department, and he was part of the thing about stopping any sort of response to this. And never yep. forget that awful scene of Donald Trump and his coked-out boy and, and Kimberly Guilfoy dancing and having a party beforehand. Right. Well, you know, as as the as the people were storming the Capitol, they were as far as I could tell, they were dancing and having a party. Although, you know, well, that timeline may I may be wrong about the timeline, but no, that was beforehand. Before Trump gave his speech, oh, okay. and that guy from Alabama said, "Go out and uh, kick ass and take names." They were having right. a party in a tent beforehand, listening yeah. to Gloria yeah. and dancing. But again, yeah. why would the head of the DOD talk about riots? Yeah. I think that uh, Mr. Miller has some splaining to do. <laughs> I don't know how to say it beyond that. Thank you for the call. Sherry in Shelton, Washington. Hey, Sherry, what's up? When they had the vote, Rand Paul's little, you know, it's unconstitutional because he's out of office. I think that they were CYA politically because they knew how much information was going to come out. They, you know, they know this stuff before we do. And I think they needed to say, oh, no, we backed the president. All the while, there's no way they can get around this. It's going to come out because the Democrats have power. They're going to have all the evidence. Believers on the other side are going to see it somehow. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they can get around the vote. I, I just... It'll be so I, you know, I think the big question, brutal. Sherry, I, I get what you're saying. I think the, the big question is going to be whether the House impeachment managers decide to include, along with Donald Trump in this trial, uh, decide to include, at the very least, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, make it just lay out this conspiracy in its, in its uh, you know, entire beauty, as it were. Uh, we'll see. Sherry, thank you for the call. Alan in Massapequa, New York. You are on the air, Alan. The House impeachment managers need to have not only the Secretary of Defense, the temporary one, Miller, who was reported, but the previous one, testify. I don't know if they testify under oath in in this kind of hearing as to what communications were made by Trump, either Trump directly or one of his emissaries to them, what exactly they were exactly asked to do as far as this memo and as far as any approach to the previous Secretary of Defense. I would add to that, perhaps, any communication to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, because they were, I feel, they were probably approached by Trump, and they, you know, distanced themselves with how that was communicated to them, where Trump understood that they were not going to intervene. Keep in mind that the week that Donald Trump was declared the loser of that election by the U.S. media, Alan, that week was the week that he decapitated the Department of Defense. He replaced the Secretary of Defense. He replaced a bunch of senior positions. Biden is in the process now of starting to extract some of these folks. But I've never heard a clear explanation for why he did that. I believe Nancy Pelosi asked for uh, an explanation and never received one. That was my understanding, but I think that I'm just thinking that he may have approached some of those former officials or as emissary have approached them, certainly the former secretary of defense. And when he found out that they refused to go along with his agenda. And then he canned them. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Alan, thank you for the call. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Professor, can I uh, give you a hidden history here? I want to go, go back and touch on 
I want to go back and touch on the Tea Party movement and its beginnings. And I'm using for reference material Wikipedia, and I'm using the agenda and organization section. And when you read that, and then you go to U.S. Code, paragraph 18, uh, 2381, which is treason, down to 2385, it is clear that, to me, in the, the Code 2385, where it says advocates, abets, advises, or teaches the duty necessary and desirability or propriety of overthrowing or destroying the government, which is right. what's going on today. But the underpinnings yep. of this have been in progress for a long time. We're looking at, I think, with the separation of the, the Republicans in the Senate and the Congress, that we're actually looking at an evolution of the Tea Party movement and some of the old names and new names thrown in it, it's an easy read. About five pages out of Wikipedia Tea Party agenda, and it's about mm-hmm. the same, which is uh, boils down to about 12 paragraphs when you read the codes. When you put those 10 pages together and the maybe 30 paragraphs, you see exactly the movement of treason, and it does qualify, I think, or the movement of uh, sedition that moves mm-hmm. into uh, actual treason with the topics you're bringing up today. So yeah. do you think that school vouchers is a separatist movement? School vouchers is the 21st century or late 20th century version of whites-only private academies in the late 1950s in Virginia and Maryland after the Brown v. Board decision. It's another attempt to produce highly segregated education in the United States for white families that want their kids going to whites-only schools. And the added bonus that Betsy DeVos has brought to it is that the people running these schools, like you know Jerry Falwell with Liberty University, can make millions of dollars on top of it. Yep. Yep. And the vouchers, um, I, the vouchers are the way that government money is delivered to people running essentially whites-only schools, in my opinion. That's well, what it's all about. There's a voucher uh, thing going on here in Iowa, and I'm going to have to write my uh, congressman about it. Would you read mm. those five pages for me someday and, and get a yeah, look yeah. at that? The, the, Wiki, the Wikipedia the Tea Party, sure. Yeah, the code, and it's just the agenda. And when you see the names and then add in what's going on modern day, this is a movement mm-hmm. that that has evolved. It has evolved okay. into something dangerous and treasonous. And I love you, Tom. Bye. John of Manessas, Virginia. Hey, John, what's up? This is in regards to the 14th Amendment, Article 3, and how to move forward through the impeachment trial. And right. it's basically a simple pledge of allegiance to the legitimacy of the election. Because that seems to be okay. a sticking point going forward is the legitimacy of the election. And uh, have that done. Anyone who does not want to swear to the oath removes themselves from the process. They are not kicked out. They have just basically said that, you know, we can't. If you can't agree on that, then you're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. They have exempted themselves uh, as opposed to being exempted. they have exempted exempted themselves. 
Right. And, uh, you know, okay. I mean, extraordinary events call for, you know, extraordinary measures. I'm with and you. Since this I'm all seems to be born of the election fraud claims, then we need to root Which, that out in order to move forward. I mean, it's just. I'm with you. And you by know, the way, John, let's all be clear. What we are seeing is the culmination of a five year lie campaign by Donald Trump. His first lie campaign, actually the preceded five years ago, was saying that Barack Obama was not a legitimately elected president because he wasn't a legitimately born American citizen. Um, That was a lie that Donald Trump held to for, 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 you know, 12 years. But then five years ago, during the primary, Donald Trump started talking about election fraud in the United States, which doesn't happen. It's, it's a, it's, you know, there's, you know, we, for all practical purposes, there is no election fraud in the United States. Our systems are, 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 you know, ironclad as it were. Uh, But he, he, and he, and he lied about the, you know, he said that Hillary Clinton got 3 million voters from people who were illegal immigrants in the United States. That was a lie. He said that when he lost the primary, this was five years ago when he lost the primary in New Hampshire, that it was because black people had bust over the, the, the border from Boston, from Massachusetts into New Hampshire to vote. That was a lie. Trump has been promoting these lies about voter fraud ever since. The entire Republican Party has been in on this since 1981. Now, you know, it was in 1980 when Paul Weyrich made his famous speech to Republican activists saying that, that uh, you know, that we need to drive down election participation in order to give ourselves, quote, more leverage in the elections. So this is a serious issue. And, and I'm with you, John. I think these guys have exempted themselves. They've dropped out and they should be pushed out now. Leah, Chicago, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, I enjoy your show a lot and learn so much from uh, you and your callers. I'm a first time caller. I apologize if you've already covered this previously, but wondering if you can address if there's a precedent to the memo that you uh, that you read to us earlier with the directions to the National Guard, if there's mm-hmm. any precedent to that in any previously planned protests? That's a great question, and I have no idea what the answer is. I'm yeah. guessing that if there was, well, actually, I, I was going to say I'm guessing that if there was a precedent that at least some of the articles, I'm not the only one reporting on this, this is all over the internet right now, that at least sure, some of these sure, articles sure. would be pointing that out. But on the other hand, if, there, yeah. if, if it is entirely unprecedented, you would assume that the articles would be pointing that out too. And I haven't seen either assertion. So I think, but that might just be because it's so new. I mean, this article, this, uh, this uh, uh, memo, it really just surfaced. It popped up last Wednesday on, on Twitter, and I'm not sure yeah. anybody took it seriously. I mentioned it here. And then Thursday, it started popping up in other places. And by Friday, I felt safe to mention it to Congressman Khanna, who at that point, as a member of Congress, had not heard about it. And, uh, you know, I, I corresponded with him over the weekend and he's like, you know, this is serious stuff. And I'm, you know, and I, and I think it's serious stuff. So uh, we got to figure yeah, out what's going on here. And I yep. and I wonder uh, if it was if it's not if there's no precedent, can it be used as supporting evidence? You know, if there mm-hmm. if there's no precedent to such a memo, you know, I would yeah. Hope if it that, was a routine memo, or if it was a recitation, or a re a, a, re, a rehash, you know, boilerplate stuff yeah. from previous memos. 
then yeah, you could probably cut Chris Miller a lot of slack. But if this was written specifically for this event at this time, under these circumstances, that yeah. smells like something entirely different and, and something that I think that we should all be very, very, very concerned about. Absolutely. Lori in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Lori, what's up? Hi. Hi, Tom. I've been thinking about all the people that do know what went on. And I think the government needs to pre-establish kind of a, a witness protection program for anyone that's willing mm-hmm. to come in and testify. I think that um, I don't think Trump has ever had an original thought, but all along he has the message of a mob leader. He tells the police, be rough on people that we don't like. So the pardon pieces, you know, I admire you criminals and the crimes that you've committed. And so the squad to Maxine Waters, to the FBI, you know, to get out of them. Watch out. We're coming for you. To Michael Cohen, who will be the first one to tell you this is a mob leader. And I think that it's not a coincidence. This has been four years in the making. He's perfectly made for this job because he's a mob-like entity. But I think people are really, really scared. And I would be scared. I mean, these a lot of people have had to up the ante on their own personal protection. You know, mm-hmm. just think of yourself going up and saying, yeah, you know, I decided I declined that position because I didn't want to be the one to, you know, go on with the treasonous act. <laughs> oh, yeah, Trump's going to think fondly of you, you know, and he's, he is a thug. Yeah, a mob boss. Yeah, I'm with you, Lori. And the question is, you know, was he in it with the mob boss kind of leaders of other autocratic countries like he wanted to turn America into? Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.